Welcome to the Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. On this show, we focus on how the real estate industry, the world's single largest emitter of greenhouse gases, can leverage climate tech to become part of the sustainability solution. I'm your host, Greg Smithies. I'm a partner on the climate tech team at Fifth Wall, the largest and most active venture investor in technology for the real estate industry. In this podcast, we'll be joined by people on the front lines, the people inventing, investing in, and deploying the climate tech we'll need to make our homes, offices, and communities more efficient, more sustainable, and ever closer to carbon zero. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech, Fifth Wall's podcast, where we talk to people on the front lines of decarbonizing the built environment. And uh, today we have the uh, great opportunity to chat with uh, Lee Hoffman, who is the co-founder of Runwise. Lee, thanks for taking the time today. Well, thanks for having me, Greg. I like to ask everybody because um, I think the, the entrepreneurial mindset of going and starting a company and, you know, quitting a, a good paying job takes a certain kind of personality. So, so maybe uh, run us through a little bit of your history and how you got to founding Runwise before we uh, hop into what it is that, that Runwise actually does. Yeah, I, I once heard a quote that said every entrepreneur has at least a little bit of something to prove, but I think that's probably true <laughs> yeah. um, and certainly true for myself. You know, honestly, my entire life, I've loved building things. I remember as a kid, I would literally be obsessed with Legos and I'd sit there like all day trying to build this amazing thing and then be so proud of what I built. And in so many ways, I got lucky enough that randomly when I was a teenager, I was super nerdy enough to be friends with the computer people at my high school school. <laughs> yep. One of them was a 19 year old kid. And this was during like the super early dot com days. And he also happened to be working for dot com. And I was immediately like transfixed by the fact that he could build things on what was being called then the internet. This is like 1998, right? It was like the first time I'd ever heard of this. And he just started showing me how you could build things online. And I, I remember thinking immediately like, wow, this is literally like the like modern version of Legos, except other people can use what I built. And that literally started my journey. And uh, I was lucky to find that early on. I uh, ended up working with him at a dot-com, ended up dropping out of college for a year when the dot-com thing burst, went back to school. And I, you know, I literally had spent a year working in a, in a startup and I was like, if those guys can do it, why can't I? And yeah. in college, I started my first company. I like to joke that if you can mess up a startup, I've done it at least in one, <laughs> if not two ways, every single way imaginable. This is like the, like the Thomas Edison quote, right? Like I figured out, 500 ways how not to make a light bulb, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you, you figured out all the ways not to make a startup. Yes, correct. If you could do some, if there are a hundred thousand ways to do something wrong, I've tried at least every one of them once. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, along the way, I've done five companies. My last one ended up randomly being in the wedding tech space, ended up selling to the knot. And this one I started 10 years ago with my co-founder. Wait, but if I'm, if I'm hearing that history correctly, have you never held a quote unquote normal job? <laughs> 
when I was 16, I worked at DC Comics, which was part of Time Warner <laughs> yep, as an intern. Yep. And if you ever need like a journey to make you become an entrepreneur, this one was it. I literally was a half intern in the legal department and half in their, what they called their internet department, which was okay. for all of DC Comics, right? Which is Batman and all of these franchises. Yeah, yeah. It was one guy. Uh, this was like 1990, <laughs> like 1998 or something. And I remember he, it was all AOL back then, right? Like that's yeah, all they yeah. cared about. There was no like, they didn't build stuff for the web. And I remember like they owned Mad Magazine. And if you remember those Mad Magazine yep. covers, like you could fold the back. Oh, the fold over. Yeah, create, yeah. Yeah, the fold over, right? And so they had a, this huge archive of the Mad Magazine covers. And I had this like creative idea. I was like, what if I could build in software a version of that so you could plug in the scan the cover put it in yep. and then on AOL yep. people could access these and like we could roll out one a week and people would be able to see it yep. historic this is probably like pre even flash like Oh yeah, this it was like, been like shockwave, really... like yeah. Yes, it was shockwave. It was literally yeah. shockwave. You, you you were around <laughs> then too, I could tell. And so I got really excited, and every day I came in an hour early to work on it. And I remember after about a month of coming in an hour early, I like came in. I was so excited to show the guy what I had done, and I like showed him three demos, and he just stops and he looks at me and he's like, "Who told you you could come in early and use the computers?" <laughs> and I remember. And I just remember thinking, I am never working in a company like this ever again. And there were some really nice, yeah. wonderful people there. But like, <laughs> it's just like, if you ever need even more motivation to do your own thing and not be subjected to arbitrary rules, I think yeah. that was my my learning experience. That's incredible. Okay, well, hopefully the world is, is better for it, that, that you've never had a normal job other than that one shocking experience. Okay, well then let's let's maybe hop into, into RunWise and what you're working on today. Sort of set the stage for us what was the big problem that made you and your co-founder you know sit bolt upright in bed and go i need to solve this right yeah i mean first off there was no way that i grew up as a little kid thinking you know what i'm gonna do make boilers and hvac and building systems more efficient like that was just nowhere in my brain right like nobody grows up and says i'm gonna be like somebody to make those those things you've never even heard of work better. The company really started because my co-founder was running 150 buildings for an owner in New York City. This was about 10 years ago. It wasn't even like us trying to start a company. It was a very part-time thing. He was paying the energy bills for these buildings. And there was li- literally no sophisticated financial analysis. Yep. On 150 buildings, he was literally just paying bills and would just eyeball, wait a minute, why are some of these buildings using three, four, five times the amount of oil? gas, electricity that another building is on the same per square foot basis. And I think he he came to me and he's like, there's something weird going on here. He went to the owner and the owner is one of these like classic New York landlords who's worth billions of dollars, literally keeps track of like the number of garbage bags that move in and out of the organization, yeah, yeah. right? On top of every single penny. And yet there was millions of dollars of energy being wasted. And when my co-founder Jeff went to him, he literally had no clue why. And so Jeff came to me and he said, hey, I think there's a problem here. It took us a few years of, of to really figure it out. But what we basically figured out is that almost every building in New York City and pretty much the whole country is running on control technology that really hasn't changed since the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s. And, and the same is true today. You might go into like a Bank of America's brand new glass lead certified green yep. tower that was built last year. 
and there'll be a control that controls all of the energy and systems in it. And it might even have a fancy digital display right now. But if you open that control up, you will find the same hard-coded, insanely simplistic algorithms that you found in 1950s and the 1960s. And so really what we did is pretty much over the last five or six years is we built a very much more advanced, but much simpler, cheaper, and easier to install computer that goes into buildings. And we built a wireless sensor network that talks to that computer. And then we use software to run those buildings more efficiently. And it sounds very dead simple, incredibly hard to actually do to make it work in every building every time to run the heating, the cooling, the water, everything yep. much more efficiently. But the end result is we can, on average, last year on heating alone, we cut the energy spend by about 21%. Wow. And while that may not sound like a ton on a single building, it's a huge amount because on the average building, that means we're taking the equivalent of eight cars of carbon output off the road. And we're now in 4,000 cars. So you add that up and next year, we're going to take something like 100,000 cars of carbon output off the road simply by running buildings more efficiently. Yep. Um, and so yep. really what we've, you know, I think more than anything stumbled into is that buildings make up cities, right? They're the, they're literally the foundation of cities. If you run buildings better and more efficiently, you can make cities not only more affordable, but healthier and greener places. And that's really what we've been zoomed in on. And, uh, you know, we're in 4,000 buildings. There are 12 million more that we're yep. working on yep. getting, and there's literally zero reason why we shouldn't be in all of them. And we're working every day to, to make that happen. And I, I think the size of the opportunity here, uh, people don't necessarily rock or understand it because Globally, buildings consume about 40% of the world's power, but in big cities, right, like a, like a Manhattan, it's like 70 or 80% of the total energy in those cities is going through the buildings, right? Most people typically think that transportation is the big bad wolf, but especially in cities, it rarely is the buildings. Yeah, I mean, I've seen different numbers on it, but for sure, at an absolute minimum, 28% of carbon output is coming from buildings. So. Yeah. Like you, you can talk about cars and you can talk about a lot of like really sexy things, but at the end of the day, these buildings are where all the energy is being used and where all the carbon output is coming from. And if you want to transform cities, you got to start with the buildings. Yep, absolutely. So let's maybe talk about the, the solution here and what it is that your software and hardware solution does, because I, I think you did put up a bit of a foil here that, you know, the, without naming too many names, right. But the, the Honeywells and the, the Schneiders of the world have got building management systems. They've been around for, you know, the better part of three quarters of a century at this point, yep. right? Yep. Why is it that these big incumbents have not solved this problem and why there actually is a, is a need for new technology here? Yeah, I think the best analogy is the cell phone market. In 2005, I talked to you about the market. You'd be, you'd talk to me and you'd say, there are hundreds of millions, billions of these cell phones being made. They're being made by these many, 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 many billion, multi-billion, hundred billion dollar companies, Ericsson, Nokia, you know the names, right? Yeah. How could anybody come along and do something different or fundamentally better? And the answer is really that the market changed from a manufacturing and distribution of hardware problem to a software and services business. And when that happens, it's a fundamentally different product and a fundamentally different business model. You, the companies you named, and there are about five of them that really control the market, really are hardware and distribution companies. And what they do is they make 100 different pieces of mechanical equipment. They then distribute those through a network of thousands of mom and pop HVAC service companies. And there is zero incentive to make those better over time. First off, the, the more changes they have, the more likely it is that those service and installers are going to be take challenge with it because they've learned how to install the product as is. They don't want to change it. Yep. 
The second is there's a huge incentive to make these things incredibly costly and time consuming to install because both the manufacturer makes more money and the installer makes more money, the more yep. complex it is. Yep. And then third, there's an incentive for it to be obtuse because then everything you need in terms of servicing and moving forward needs to run through your, your HVAC company. And so what we sort of did is a lot like in cell phones, a lot like in cars where it shifted from hardware to software, we had to vertically integrate and we had to say, look, the only way we're going to break into this is if we can essentially make something that's 10 times faster, cheaper, and easier to install. And we did that by making it 100% wireless. So it's no yeah. longer a three-week, $100,000 job where Joe, the HVAC guy, installs it and only he knows how it's wired and set up. Yep. It's a standard, like half a day, two guys are in and out, thing is installed, one-tenth or one-twentieth or one-fiftieth the cost. And then we said, it's not about selling you equipment. It's about delivering results. We're going to put this in and you're going to pay us every year. And in return for that, we're going to save you five to 10 times as much as you pay us. And if we don't, you're going to stop paying us. Yeah. And literally that's been our business model. The way we got into hundreds of related buildings, LaFrac buildings, Douglas Elliman, Blackstone, ACAM, name Fairstead, name the big guys. We took the same approach. We said, give us three buildings. Let us show you the numbers afterwards. Yeah. Hounded them for six months, literally banging down their door. Give us three buildings. We'll give you your money back if, if you don't like it. Put it in. And then after six months, we go back to them and we show them that they made 200% on their money and paid back the thing in less than six months. And yeah. then immediately yeah. they look at those numbers and they're like, you know, let's do it in the rest of our buildings. And it's just a fundamentally different business. Everything in buildings is finally turning into software. And the companies that made these controls are not software companies. They're not service companies. And that is something that we happen to be an expert in. It was really a fusion of my background in building scalable web services and great product and Jeff's background and understanding how these buildings operate, how the core systems work and where the money was being wasted. How about, uh, let's let's ask the devil's advocate question from the other side of it, because this whole category here internally in a bit of a tongue-in-cheek way, we just refer to as YABMS, which literally means yet another building management system. Because honestly, we see dozens of them, right? And I think a lot of our listeners are getting pitched these things like every week. Yep. In our tracking matrix of companies around the space, meaning startups, not the big incumbents, startups, we've got 42 of these companies, right? So why is it, you know, as the devil's advocate question here, that Runwise has got a better mousetrap versus the other startups out there? Because there are a lot of other people, you know, really trying to build this better mousetrap. Yeah, I hear about these types of companies all the time. And I think first, I'd say the proof is in the pudding, right? Find me another company that's in 4,000 buildings. And by the end of next year, we'll be in 10,000 plus buildings, right? And when you work backwards for why we've been able to do it, we took a fundamentally different approach. Almost every company I've ever seen in the space takes the same approach that HVAC companies take, which is a sort of logical approach on the surface. It is so hard to sell a building owner. Like you have no idea. Like they are the <laughs> most thrifty people on the planet. They're hit up every day by thousands of people and they got a million things to focus on. So getting through to one to get them to actually buy from you is so hard. So the natural human instinct is when that happens, you want to say, well, I'm going to take over everything and sell you everything. And that is what HVAC providers do. It's what most surface providers do. And it's what most startups have done. They say, I'm going to create a BMS and it's going to control everything in your building and it's going to be better and blah, 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 blah. It is 
is so hard to make one individual system guaranteed to run better in every single building 24 7 365 that what ends up happening is they end up doing a lot of manual stuff they're like the first 10 buildings there's like some person who's goes in every day and is like adjusting the fans and turning the yep. heat on and off a little bit better and they deliver great results when they get to the hundredth building all of a sudden that doesn't really work anymore right and yep. so you end up basically having the system where you get worse and worse results over time we took a very different approach we didn't go in and say we're putting a bms in it's going to control it we said no we started with just one and two pipe heating systems and we said if you have a one or two pipe heating system we'll take it on we're not touching anything else in your building you can leave the bms there we don't care we are literally going to make this heating system run much better and the proof is going to be in the pudding we are going to pay back the cost you put in within six months and then you're going to make over 100 percent on your money every year that's all we want to touch and then we did the next heating system we did hydronic and then we did three-way vacuum until we had every single heating system we knew every single time we could guarantee we'd save 20 percent on average pay back the investments in in less than a year and you make you over 100 percent on your money every year then we said you know what average toilet in new york costs four thousand dollars when it's running there's 10 or 20 of these in a building let's focus on that next and then we rolled out that service. Now we're working on cooling. And again, we're doing just a couple of cooling systems that we'll do the next. We're not trying to be your, we service you and do everything. We're trying to just deliver value and return on each individual system we're taking over. Eventually we'll get to everything, but it's a fundamentally different approach. And the reason that I, we, we always call it the win-win-win strategy. If I go into you and I say, I'm going to sell you a BMS, you say, why do I care? If I say, I'm going to go in and just take over your heating and I'm going to give you 200% return on your money, you care. And when I say the same thing about water and cooling, you care. And so that's the way we've done it. If you can give somebody that gives them a win on savings and as a byproduct makes the building easier to use, and then as a third byproduct reduces carbon output, everybody wins. But it can't just be, I'm going to provide you technology for the sake of having technology. It's got to provide a real systemic measurable value. And that's really how we've essentially gotten to pretty huge scale in the United States. Yep, that that's incredible. It's uh, these things where clearly you've you've been deep enough inside the go to market sort of hand to hand combat of this that you've you've really figured something out here that I think many other folks in in this market necessarily haven't. Where they're trying to build a better Honeywell or a better Schneider, um, but that isn't necessarily the right way to really crack this crack this nut. It sounds like. We had one huge competitive advantage, and that was my co-founder, Jeff. He'd been managing properties. He was on, He was the customer for 15 years, right? And he's like, I wouldn't buy this shit. Like, he's like, <laughs> you either better show me I'm going to get more money in my pocket, like, in a few months, or I don't give a shit. Yep. And that's really true. Like, you know, if you're in real estate, you're there. Most operators are there to run businesses. And if you don't show them a good ROI and deliver results, they're not going to pay you. And so you have to start with that. And the only way to do that is to be incredible at what you do very narrowly and then expand from there absolutely 100 percent agree okay well i'm sure uh after listening to this a bunch of people are, are going to want to reach out so where can uh, people go to find out more about runwise they can go to runwise.com r-u-n-w-i-s-e.com or they can email me at lee at runwise.com if you own any buildings in any of the major cities in the united states we would absolutely love to talk to you yep and uh to, you know I think without being being biased here, as I said, we we have spoken to over 40 different companies in and around the space. And I think Runwise clearly has a larger install base than pretty much anybody out there. And it must be for good reason. So uh, it was great to get under the hood here a little bit and hear about why that is. But I think the, the results really probably speak for themselves. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. We're going to make you our head of marketing any day now. <laughs> yep. Fantastic. No, thanks very much for taking the time. And uh, thanks for taking the time to our listeners. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Greg. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to Fifth Wall's Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. For more on Fifth Wall and our efforts in climate tech, visit our website at fifthwall.com.